Hi, welcome to Credit Card Families. This is Adrian And Ash. Thanks for joining us again. We are really excited to share with you what's been happening for us since our last episode. Has been a pretty big couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so when you joined us last time, we had shared that we were pregnant and we're in the very initial stages of, um, I guess, it feeling real mm. and the initial tests and things. Oh, that I remember we were doing. We, the um, HCG levels were extremely high. We were, yes, I think we're at that moment. Yeah, so we were right before we had our six and a half week scan, which lots of people, when they're pregnant, if they're not going through assisted reproduction um, assistance, they don't have a scan mm. so early. Like it's much later. So we were really lucky that we got to go in so early. I think it's helped us a bit around. Hey, ninja. <laughs> The level of uncertainty in a pregnancy is so high, so it's mm. nice that we had a bit of a scan to give us some, I don't know, sense of knowing. Reassurance it's going okay yeah. and things are doing what it's meant to do. I think it's, it's such a highly anxious time that it is kind of nice just to have someone say, it's all looking good. Yeah, it is okay. You, are, you aren't making all of this up. So we went in at six weeks and four days for our scan. And the cats are very vocal right now because it's uh, feeding time at the farm and they are wondering why they've not been fed yet. <laughs> Sorry. So six weeks and four days and we went in, saw the doctor and started the scan and that was a um, transvaginal scan because it's so early that otherwise they wouldn't be able to see what was going on. And so the doctor... Um, was like, yep, here's the sack, and then had us start listening to the heartbeat mm, and measured it. And, yeah, and, and we just, it was, I don't know, it was sort of that moment that I never thought we'd get to. It was really yeah. beautiful. It was, it was absolutely incredible. Like, you're hearing the heartbeat and just, I don't know. Yeah, was, hearing the heartbeat was just, I couldn't even. I didn't have words to describe it. Was it was incredible. just incredible. And you were like, having a few tears oh I was having a lot of tears just just streaming down my face trying to hold still like not full body sob because that's what I was after it was so surreal and then then the doctor says oh and we'll just check this one and see what the heartbeat is of this one and and (laughs) it looks like it'll be twins and then blah 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 and then he just kept talking and he just sort of slipped in really nonchalantly that there was a second one that was sort of hidden behind the first one (laughs) a little one and and I was like pardon did you all right um, did you say there's a second one? And Ash is going, are there twins? Did you say twins? Did you say twins? And we both, I think, probably took us a good 15 to 20 seconds to actually process what he had said. I was like, is there not third? Is there? That's just a <laughs> um, So, yeah, there's two little nuggets in there. It's totally amazing. So, yeah, we had, um, so it was, we had the two. And so the, the first one measured at seven weeks and the second so one. About a few days ahead, sort of three days ahead of bigger. schedule. Yeah. And then the other one was six weeks, four days. So Which it was is actually like right, right on par. So it was kind of weird because we we're like, oh, this is the small one. But it actually wasn't small. It was just that the, the other, other one was, was big. a couple of days bigger looking. Must be a must take after my family. <laughs> be a Harper. And, um, yeah, and so we – it was just – it was amazing. So they, so both embryos took basically. So – um, we, no, put, we put two embryos in, they both have taken at least to this point. Um, but you know, the doctor was like, there's a 15% chance that one could miscarry. So, you know, we have our eight week scan, eight week, four day scan on Wednesday. And yes, I'm just, just in three days. hanging out for more information. I, I, I think it's just like every day or every week it's a bit less risky, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's it. It's like once you get to eight weeks and sort of the chances statistically of miscarriage drops significantly and I know it's different with twins as well and I don't have my head around all that I've actually been making a conscious effort to not google things um because that's the worst thing possible and I have very little information on twins and twin pregnancy and stuff and until I think we get to 12 weeks and there's twins I'm not even gonna engage in any of that yeah I don't want to get into the narrative of, of thinking about having twins when we're still at like it's quite risky time for miscarriage, so I'm sort of like, okay, let's not think about double prams, let's not think about matching outfits. While thinking about them. <laughs> while thinking about them, but pretending that we're not. So it is, it's interesting, because there is a whole lot of dialogue and narrative around twins that... Um, I totally have no idea. We, and we just, I mean, apart from, you know, one of our closest friends, um, have have twins, but we're like, just trying not to really Not get ahead of it. ourselves. Yeah. 
but it's super exciting. It's so it's so cool. It's, it's yeah, it's pretty surreal. And oh, I'll get back to this in a little bit. Like I'm gonna talk about this a bit more, but I've been very sick, um, and it's sort of only in the last few days <laughs> have I felt okay enough to be like, oh my god, there's twins in there. <laughs> Holy moly! Because otherwise, it's sort of every day has been fight to the finish line, which we'll come back to. Um, I guess simultaneously what's been happening is that Ash has been um, chugging the pill every day. Double dose in the last few days. and So I've got, uh, as we've already said, I've got the egg collection coming up on the 20th. So I had my appointment to get all the, with the nurse, uh, the IVF nurse, to get all the medication and everything sorted on Thursday or Friday last mm. week. So that's all coming together. I've got, I think, my first injection on maybe Tuesday. I'm not sure. I've got it all written <laughs> down. Um, so it's all happening. I, it's It seems like crazy that we're doing it at the same time. But also, you know, <laughs> I'm not getting any younger and we have to get these eggs out so that we can at least put them in the esky. So just trying to suck it up and be like, this is short term that we're both on all this medication and both really, you know, struggling to the finish line. Mm. at the end of each day and it will um yeah it's an interesting thing to be doing at the same time it, yeah interesting <laughs> is definitely an umbrella term for the experience I would say <laughs> so yeah so it's good it'll be because in a month you know and, and each day sort of seems like the longest day but in a, a month will go fairly quickly and then it'll all be done and you'll have recovered from surgery by then and yeah and then we've got a really nice holiday like or at least time booked off um work in early April so yeah our first vacation. Yeah, <laughs> we've been we've been encouraged to take as many baby vacations as possible. So vacation prior to having your first baby. Yeah, I'm like, let's just book as many as we can. <laughs> Savor those, I guess, last few holidays when it's just the two of us. I just like going away. I've been um, like wanted to just go on as many. With I just love not being at work. The cats are behind us, <laughs> but it's it's super exciting. I'm stoked and trying not to be stoked at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to be. <laughs> realistic and I guess it's I think I like I was saying before is that I've been so unwell um and this last week has been actually quite good comparatively I mean it's Mm. been really crap (laughs) compared to being well um but compared to to the week before I'm feeling so much better so um and but when I get home in the evenings that's sort of it for me like by the time I go to work and then come home I just have nothing left and I feel absolutely horrible Um, but this week's been really good in that I've been able to have a bit of a chuckle at some of the things that have happened. And I thought I'd share some of those with you. That's been pretty funny. Um, just because being pregnant's really absurd. Like the things that happen to your body when you're pregnant is actually absurd. So, um, listen, if you're listening to this and you don't want to hear about me being pregnant, please, please don't feel bad about fast forwarding through all of this. Um, I do know that that can be hard if you're still you know, trying to conceive. And the last thing you want to hear is a pregnant person talk about being pregnant. So please feel free to skip ahead. And so some of the funny things is that I have, my sense of smell is next level. Um, and some of the things that I can't handle at the moment include the list is pretty long, the fridge. (laughs) So if I need something from the fridge, I hold my breath, the cupboard, so same story. And it smells like there's like one of the spices and I don't know which spice it is, but it's like, or maybe it's the combination of all the spices together. It smells really dry and gross. There's something definitely happening that you're very, very sensitive to. And I'm like, I can't smell anything. The fridge smells fine. I'll clear oh, it out every day. Horrible. <laughs> um, so something in the fridge and then something in the cupboard and then what are the other things? Um, toothpaste. Like I can't handle the smell of toothpaste, which is really weird. Oh my God. The smell of the, the soap from the dishwasher, like the weird chemical floral smell is horrible. Like just absolutely repulsive. Ninja hates it. He hates when I have bad smells. (laughs) Um, the smell of ash after they brush their teeth, (laughs) which is really unfair. Before before or after. Before or after. (laughs) So like, um, also the smell of beer or wine is really going, I'll have a white wine tonight and see if that's better. No, it's just a strong smell. And like, if you want to cuddle, drink water. (laughs) If not, drink whatever booze you want. Um, 
I've also, I think along with that really sensitive smell is that I've been dry heaving a lot. So I'm really lucky in that I haven't vomited. Um, <laughs> let's put the cats in the bedroom. Like I was saying, I have been dry heaving. Um, and the two most sort of, mem well, there's three actually. The first one was that someone had done a fart and <laughs> it was the worst fart possibly in the world. And I started dry heaving and I had to leave the room and take really deep breaths so that I didn't spew. The second time was <laughs> when I was at work in the lunchroom, I opened my lunch, which I was really had been excited about, but something about the overwhelming sense of the, the smell of the lunch just at once hit me. So I started dry heaving in the lunchroom at work and thank God no one was there to see me. <laughs> And then the worst one, and look, it's not funny when it happens. It feels horrible and it makes me really upset. And I like have panic around vomiting. And so then I panic as well. And it's just like a really emotional thing. But now, you know, give me 24 hours and I look back and I'm like, that's actually really funny. <laughs> um, I was <laughs> brushing my teeth and brushed my tongue, which is a thing that I love to do because that's what you should do. Uh, <laughs> Dental hygiene is It's hard. very important. And... It made me start gagging and then start dry heaving. And I was just like, like from the depths of my soul, dry heaving. And then afterwards, I just like sat on the floor crying. So <laughs> it's been a real struggle. Um, I think what the funniest bit though has been that it's like actually every single day is so different. Yeah. So yeah, you're like, I want to eat nothing but gnocchi. And then I go and buy all this gnocchi. And then two days later, you're like, I don't want any more gnocchi. Now I want... Oh yeah, no, my food, it's I'll be like, I'll, like, we could go to a restaurant and I could order something and then it comes out and I'll be like, mm, that looks horrible. <laughs> or like put it in my mouth. I'm like, oh, too much flavor. Yeah. So eating's been really hard. I've, I think I probably had lost two kilos and I've put one of them back on because this last week I've been able to eat, which is really mm. good. Um, but yeah, so every day's, every day's a, bit a, of a challenge. challenge to find the vegetables that you can eat on that particular day and Mm. keep you healthy but yeah. it has been hilarious and the the smell and the oh. like dry reaching at <laughs> random stuff i'm getting something out of the cupboard to cook with and adrian's like can you please go to the cupboard and i'm like okay, i'm like no, it's wafting it. right towards me <laughs> i have to get the flower out before i close the door and, and i'm it, like oh. focus come on what are you doing get the flower get out of there so <laughs> it's been and i've been my sleep has been really bad apparently because I'm on, I mean, I don't know if it happens typically during early stages of pregnancy, but also I'm on a lot of progesterone as well. So I've been not sleeping very well. Um, and I've gotten right back into meditation in the nighttime because I've sort of had two to three hours awake every night that just can't sleep. Um, but this last week I started listening to, again, my dad wrote a porno. I don't know if you guys have listened to that podcast, but it's really funny and it's, just purely for humor. So, and it puts me to sleep. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> just puts me right to sleep. I mean, sleep. I find it puts me to sleep as well, but I find it a little bit boring. I find it hilarious <laughs> and it just totally takes my mind off whatever anxious cyclical thinking I'm doing and it just knocks me right out. Yeah, it's great. That's, it's absolutely, that's, that's a good purpose. Yeah, totally. So that's, I think that's sort of us. Mm. It's exciting. It's really exciting. And it's like this funny challenge every day to get the right amount of sleep and get the right amount of veggies mm. and not spew while we're like doing something that we wouldn't usually be vomiting about. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's been such an eye opener for me because I think that pregnant people don't talk about typically their pregnancy prior to 12 weeks. And so I think like I knew that pregnancy was hard. I knew you had a heightened sense of smell. Like I had sort of these vague ideas around what it meant to be pregnant, but no one really talks about it's actually really crap. And I don't know how these people walking around pregnant until 12 weeks are not going, this is I can't the worst. handle this smell. I'm freaking out. Like, and they're just silently freaking out. Like it's horrible. It's really full on to think about by some, I mean, people's determination and um, willpower to be able to survive that amount of sickness. Well, about support is I just, just think bizarre. it's so crazy this cultural narrative we have around pregnant people you know and typically people who are female identified that you know this is just this is just what you do now suck it up and keep keep at your job and I'm just like I mean you know there's this the idea of like the man flu and like imagine if a person who can't handle the man flu was then pregnant the world would actually stop or implode yeah. Yeah. so I just think if you have been pregnant and you've had you know, like if you've done it, then you're a badass. Absolutely. I'm like a true 
a newfound understanding of just how intense it is. Oh, seriously. Next level, man. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's it. We'll, we'll stop going on. We could talk about it for ages. We um, had a really amazing chat this week to a person called Lee. And Lee is a cisgender male-identified queer person. And he is also a known donor for two queer women and their beautiful child. He shares his experiences of being a donor from the initial conversations around donation to the counseling sessions, and then all the way up to any advice that he would give to someone considering donation, which in a nutshell is just do it. Yeah. He's pretty great. And he's, yeah, it was such a nice time. And I've not actually really had a chance to speak to people who are donors. So it felt like a really insightful eye-opening conversation yeah. i feel really excited about um last fortnight speaking to um someone who's in surrogacy and egg collection or oh, sorry egg donation and then now to a sperm donor and it just feels like it's really an amazing i think part of our journey as well that we're able to have conversations with these incredible people it uh, yeah i'm just continually blown away by the people who contact us and the stories that we hear it feels like we are positioned in an incredible place of, I guess, privilege to hear, to hear these stories and to share them with you. So please have a listen at what Lee has to say. I think you'll be equally as inspired and impressed. And hopefully we'll have a whole heap of new uh, sperm donors in Victoria from um Yes, maybe he'll inspire an army of donors. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here you go. Enjoy. My name is Lee, just all male gender pronouns. That's about it, I think. So I was a sperm donor for some friends. That's really exciting because we talk a lot on here about this idea of where do the where do the sperm donors come from? Who are they? How yeah. do we find them? They're you know sort of this this sought after commodity, I guess, in the IVF world. Is that true? Okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's really I feel really excited to have a chance to chat to someone um, who's been a donor before. So when you were a donor, did that go through a clinic or was that just at home? Um, Both. So um, we started uh, at home and that didn't work out for some biological reasons. So uh, then we had to go through IVF. Did you, had you had any thoughts about being a donor prior to this or was this simply you had friends who asked you and you're like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, It was the latter. So, um, it just never crossed my mind until I was asked. Okay. And when you were asked, I'm curious yep. about, I mean, were you, did it take you time to decide or what was that process for you in coming to a decision? Uh, it did take me time to decide. Um, not a long time, but I thought about it for about a week. Um, and uh, what the reason why I decided yes was because um, I, I asked some friends and they were like, you know, think about, what, what are you going to be doing in 10 years' time? You're going to be, like, pushing 50. What else are you going to do with your time? I was like, oh, fair enough. Yep, that sounds good. Yeah, okay. Okay, so that's amazing. The parents or the people who you're yeah. the, the donor for, were those close friends or just acquaintances? How long had you known them? And was that something that was sort of a comfortable space conversation to have with them? Um, well, the it's it actually started out as um, the parent was going to be a solo parent. Um, when I was first asked, uh, and I'd known her for a while, and we weren't like um, besties, uh, but we friends for quite a while since like the early two thousands. So, yeah, so I I was a little bit surprised that she asked me because, like I said, she's got you know lots of friends, and so then she asked, and then I thought about, it, and then I said yes. Was there any point? I mean, when she. Um, brought on a second co-parent was there any dialogue yep. around that or did that just sort of your- oh, oh yeah god yes yep <laughs> yeah because you know that obviously changes everything uh and um well not, you know not everything but then it becomes like joint decision making between between those two after you made the decision yep that i'll do this this works um mm-hmm. how did you negotiate i guess what the future would look like about the relationship you might have with this donor conceived person? Uh, good question. So um, we both had, because we've got a lot of friends in common, um, we both had friends who had gone through the process. So 
we had some models in front of us and um, some were successful and some were not successful and, and some were a mixed bag. So I think we very much benefited from um, having those experiences around us. Um, and, uh, you know, we kind of know each other through politics, like, you know, from uni. Um, and that sort of shaped quite a few things as well, I think, in terms of like how agreements are made and, you know, what discussions look like and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And good to be at a sort of a similar background and ability to communicate that in a way that works for both of you. Yeah, we had a common definition of what good communication looks like, which I think helped quite a lot. That's yeah. that's good for all types of relationships. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think at some point that, I mean, I guess with humans and as life continues and changes, like there'll be sort of an ongoing negotiation around what the connection to that donor conceived child will be? Uh, yeah. So we talked about that kind of stuff quite explicitly. Um, so, uh, you know, we we're kind of aware that there's a danger of trying to bureaucratize your way to success. Like if we have some perfect written document, then there's no capacity for conflict. Um, <laughs> if only it works that well. Yeah, exactly. So um, our agreements were around flexibility uh, and how does this, you know, what's the mechanism for change? Like, so if things are going to be renegotiated, how does that happen? And who gets to say... Uh, and all that kind of stuff. So important and to lay that down as a foundation. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, built on other people's painful experiences. Yeah, that's so hard to see as well. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of amazing because I think we've done a bit of reflecting on the podcast and I guess personally around how lucky it is to have had, I guess, sort of queer elders go in front of us and navigate yeah. that space and, you know, really role model what does and doesn't work and fight really hard to let us be in a space where we can do that as well. It's really, it's really incredible. Yeah, we definitely benefited, you know, and, and the way that that gets passed around, um, you know, it's like uh, the artifacts can be like a contract that didn't work. Um, but also, also um, you know, we had our own ideas. Um, and then of course um, we went through counseling um, and uh, that was really, really good. That was very helpful. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Counseling is pretty wonderful, hey? Especially if it's if it's done the right way and there's willing participants, it can be so powerful. Well, it was it's a mandatory part of going through IVF. Um and I was like, "Oh, here we go." You know. <laughs> uh but it was actually well well worth it and um yeah, I think uh I couldn't recommend it enough. Okay. That's amazing cuz I I do you know, I've had a couple of grumbles and other people have had a couple of grumbles of, oh, this is so frustrating and it's just ticking boxes. But in so many ways, it, it's so essential. I, I can imagine a scenario where that is the case. Um, because, you know, that uh, it's like anything. They'll, it's like somebody saying, are you going to shake the baby? And you're like, no, I'm not going to fucking shake the baby. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it, it, it might feel like they're going to ask you those kinds of questions. But we had a really great counsellor who'd had like 20 plus years of experience of this kind of stuff. And she just, and she just put like scenarios to us where we're like, Oh my God, we did not think about that. Um, so, you know, uh, we've got our own examples around us, but you know, this person had, um, all of these examples that she'd seen of things going right and wrong. Yeah, of course. So, so it wasn't just us, her asking us, you know, are we good or bad people? She was asking us, like, have you thought of this? And we got to ask her, you know, what's, what's like the worst scenario you've ever seen or what are the typical things you've seen go wrong and what kind of things should be discussed and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't just a passive box ticking um, exercise. It was actually quite active and really worth it. That's so great. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that because we've, Ash and I have had a couple of experiences with IVF counselors and we've just walked away going, was that for real? Like, oh, goodness. Yeah. So it's really, and like, it's nice when it works, you know? You're like, oh, yeah. this is why it's here. This is how it can work. That's so great. Yeah, and there are, you know, I can understand that it's because it's a mandatory thing. It is a box-ticking exercise. But maybe if that's the case, go somewhere else. Like, there are some really good councils around. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, that the, the counselor we went to, she retired pretty much straight after we finished. Um, it was... We had good timing 
like in every aspect you can imagine. So, oh, tell me more about that. Well, the the legislation changed um, as we started going through IVF. So it used to be um, a a very arbitrary waiting period. It was basically a punishment waiting period. Um, that's got nothing to do with, um, you know, checking for diseases and all that kind of quarantining and all that kind of stuff. It's just a very arbitrary period that you have to wait. Um, so the legislation changed as we started. So it went from, I think it was, is it, a, it used to be a six month waiting period or a nine month waiting period or something, uh, to three months. So three months from donating and then you've got to wait for all of the, you know, primary and secondary tests. And then, then the all clear and, and then the process starting. So we basically went through as quick as you possibly could. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was really good. And that's so nice because I feel like so, so much of the IVF journey is waiting and just waiting through bullshit to get to where you finally want to be. So it's so it's, nice when it can just sort of work. The, le the legislation is just this legacy of, um, you know, conservative anxiety. You know, it's not necessarily reflective of, uh, you know, what the what the biological process is, or what the right process for waiting is. Uh, like I said, a lot of it just seemed like um, arbitrary punishment. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's good to it's good that that worked out. So once you've so you went through the counseling, you did the donation. You were lucky yep. that it was a three month wait. So yep. how much did you donate enough for them for? A couple of rounds or is there enough in in the freezer so if they wanted to have more children is that an option um good question so you have to donate a couple of times anyway um and so um they measure it in straws and i don't know how much is in a straw uh and that's but that's how it's stored and so you'll get i think it's between like eight and twelve straws out of a couple of rounds of donation um and so then I think you'd have to ask the mums. I'm not sure what happens after that. But then I, I think what happens after that is that you can elect and pay for it to be stored for a certain period of time. So there's there's more in storage. So there there is a capacity for more kids. I'm guessing part of the negotiation around, yeah, I'm fine with you. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. fine with there this being you know multiple children in the equation. Yeah, but it's also a necessary part because you don't know how many rounds you have to go through. Yeah. Like I said, we had a dream run, so it was the first go. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, I know. I know. You just, like I said, you just couldn't ask for a better run. That's so nice. Yeah. That's so nice uh, to hear. But you don't, you just don't know. So that, that lot of donations might, might be it. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, you might go through all of that. And, and still not get pregnant. And then and that, back to the drawing board. Yeah, so they said to us, you know, they only start asking new questions about um, fertility and biology after maybe three or four rounds. So it's very normal to not get pregnant, like maybe, you know, five rounds. Well, statistically, uh, not... it's quite unlikely to just fall pregnant straight away. It's not, Correct, not yeah. very high statistically, yet. Yeah, that's right. Um, and of course it's a stress, it's just a massive stress, <laughs> you know, cause you, you hear that, you hear those statistics, like it's not likely. And so you think, you know, don't convince yourself that it's going to happen. But then part of you is like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. And God, how beautiful, how lucky as well. And just to be able to move onto the next stage of yeah, correct. It becoming a reality. Um, the I guess the I'm I'm a little bit curious just a little bit more before we move on from the clinical part of it. So yep. how much so counseling appointments, you know, time going in, speaking to nurses, speaking to doctors, doing donations, yep. etc. Yeah. Was that a, a fairly time extensive process or what? Because yeah. I think one of the things that is a barrier is around having time off work, being able to get there, being able to commit to the time that it takes. Well, I um. Look, it is, look, it, it's a pain, you know, like it's, but it's not like, it's not like a huge burden for me. It wasn't anyway. I mean, we'd, we'd spent close to a year, um, trying to DIY our way to access, uh, to success, but it just didn't work. Um, and then the IVF process, that was a while. I can't remember, quite remember how long it was. It was maybe six months, um, maybe less, maybe less. Um, because it's not just donating, it's like, you know, you've got to get all these blood tests and, 
um, you know, there's uh, and you, there's referrals and all that kind of stuff. So it was a while, but I wouldn't say that it was a huge burden. Um, it definitely uh, wasn't enough to be discouraging or anything like that. It was like just a, it was a bit like sushi, just a lot of quick appointments. It's that little thing, like do a little thing, and that was it. Um, and the mums are really good. They uh, they drove me around quite a lot. So for me, it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Okay. Have you? I'm just curious, like now that yep. you've donated to one family, have you been yep. approached by or asked by any other people about being a donor for their family? No. 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 <laughs> if, no. You, if you were, yep. would that be an option? What would that look like? Well, uh, that would definitely affect them, so their stakeholders in the decision. Uh, so... Um, I guess from my perspective, the scenario, the, so the scenario that I'm in is I am the donor. I'm not like a parent or anything like that. Um, so in that sense, it's it's un it's not that complicated. Uh, so you know, could I be a donor again? Like I guess I guess so. Like um, yeah, sure, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> to be to be determined, not not closed off. Yeah, okay. That's no, it's not, not, yeah. not closed off or anything, but like I said, their stakeholders, it would affect them. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it would affect the kid, of course, as well, like having a biological um, half-brother or sister or whatever running around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So it would affect them, so their stakeholders, so they'd get a power of veto, I suppose. Because, because you know, like the the biology part of it, um, there can be just an inevitable connection. Like we can we can create these families of intent and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but sometimes there's a biological tether. So you know they might be like tethered to some people that they just can't stand. You know, who knows? Yeah, yeah, like, of course. Yeah, lots of lots of negotiating and conversations and yeah and forethinking. So that that might be a bridge too far. <laughs> Um, but you know, you never know, you never know what the scenario is. And it's, it's so interesting. I think about, I know quite a few queer couples who've asked lots of their cisgender male friends, will you be a donor and have mm. gotten nowhere. And mm. the way that I, my, I guess my experience has shaped my perspective around, you know, where donors are if they exist how you find them and you know we I think we spent probably a quite a long time searching for a donor and had no luck um yeah. and I feel like that's a really common narrative for a lot of queer people or like you might find someone and they're interested but what works for them doesn't work for you what you're looking for um yeah yeah um so it's really interesting because I think I think of sperm donors as like in high command, <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, it's so interesting. Cause I guess it's that you, cause when we first started talking, you said that that's, that maybe it wouldn't be your perspective cause there haven't been other people who've asked you. Yeah. Um, look, uh, what, what the mums asked for was what I expected would be the role. Um, but definitely, um, I know of gay men who are like, I want to be the parent, you know? So, um, uh, yeah. So I can definitely imagine those scenarios where it's a lot more complicated. Like, um, there are a lot more stakeholders involved. Uh, but that, that wasn't our scenario. Um, and we, that's what we were met with quite a few times. Yes, I would. I I want to be a donor at some point, but I also want to co-parent. We were like, oh, two parents is I think probably as much as we can handle in one yeah. parenting equation. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the reality is you can do both. Like, um, so yeah, it's it's look, it's it it is very. I've had this discussion a lot with my friends. It's it's just very interesting, um, how much people want to replicate nuclear families, um and get very, very caught up in it, uh, get caught up in, in roles and all that kind of stuff. So, that, I mean, that's like, look, and again, it's just, that's the context, that's the, the reality. 
but I think that may that may explain it. A bit. I think that. Have there been conversations that you've had with any of your friends around the donation process, and um, like, is that a is that a conversation amongst your peers of do we donate? Should we donate? Is this an option for us? I'm just curious um, what that looks like, if anything. Yeah, like uh, I'm older, so I'm I'm like turning forty this year. Um, so you know, a lot of my friends, it's just like crunch time. Um, but I do have younger friends who are like in their late twenties, early thirties, and we actually we actually talked about it the other day. Um, because I was I'm really surprised that there is such a shortage of donors. Um. I think maybe, I mean, there's a few factors. I think one of the factors is the legislation changing just recently to you can't be an anonymous donor anymore. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, and I think the other part is, um, you know, it's it's so awkward. <laughs> donating, donating is awkward. Uh, so, but I think people may may have a perception that it's like maybe more awkward than it is, or maybe more work than it is. Uh, so that I don't know, I can't really account for it, but I think maybe part of it is like that option of being an anonymous donor is now gone. So yeah, we, we do talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And does it does it does there seem to be that that's good to know because I feel like I'm sort of always on the other the opposite end of that conversation around. Where, how does this happen and where do we find donors and what does that look like? And, um, yeah, that's good. It's good that it's happening. And I'm, I think it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what that continues to look like in the next sort of five to 10 years. And I know they've also had some legislation changes recently. It used to be that, I don't know other states, but I know in Victoria that as a donor, you could choose to not let your sperm go to same sex or single people, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, same sex couples. Um, and because of that, being a same-sex person on the waiting list or a single person, it was just a massive wait. Yeah, right. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so they've just recently changed that so that there's a, there's no discrimination on who sperm can go to. Yeah, good. <laughs> well, I know. I'm like, that's a bit basic, but yeah. it takes laws time to catch up, I guess. Yeah, like I said, there's just there's so much uh, anxiety bound up in this legislation that's got nothing to do with the reality. Yeah, definitely. When when you talk to your friends or if someone were to ask you, you know, you know, should I be a donor? I'm thinking about it. What advice or what tips would you give them? Um, hmm, hmm, good good question. Um so I guess in terms of negotiating what you want, uh like I said earlier, um definitely do your research and have a look at what sort of models, different models people have used. You know, like it's probably pretty good to get a vision of what it actually looks like. Uh, and so just, you know, whatever you're doing, just be really clear about the roles. I'd, that's my sort of best advice. Like write it out. Don't, you know, you can't discuss it enough, of course, but write it out. Um, and... Um, the best advice we got from the counsellor was um, she said that the, the most conflict that she sees, particularly with um, queer couples and queer donors, isn't between each other, but between like extended families. Yeah, I very interesting. So she said the most conflict she sees is particularly when it's gay men donating. Um, she's like, their families, particularly their mothers, um, are like this is my only chance to be a grandparent. Um, so she's like, that's the most conflict she sees. Now, um, my brothers and sisters have got, you know, a lot of children, right? So so um, there's no shortage, but it is, it is very interesting that my mum is right into it. Yeah. So uh, I had to come out to my family <laughs> in order to tell them. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, um, I don't know, like, uh, we're just not a close family, but we're not that close. And um, I'd made a decision that, like, you know, I could tell them or I could just not. We could just talk about the weather. Um, uh, and, but, you know, but then there's, like, a little person involved. Uh, so in order to explain how this little person was coming about, I had to explain why rather than just saying, oh, yeah, and I'm a donor. And also just, um, you know, um, trying to explain to them that, uh, well, the agreement that I've got with the mums is it's not like they're unknown, but the, the mums are the parents and I'm the donor. And, you know, um, uh, the kid will always know that I'm the donor. Like there won't be like an unveiling party or anything like that. Um, and that my, you know, my family will be known to her. So, but, you know, maybe just as a source of extra presence. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. No one's ever, no one's ever died from being liked by too many or loved by too many people. Um, correct. Correct. But, you know, um, the mums have their mums and, grand, you know, fathers and, so, you know, she's got two sets of grandparents and I guess we don't really have um, names for some of these roles as well. So we tend, we tend to substitute them, substitute other names. Like, so I get called uncle quite a bit, um, which is like, I guess, our closest equivalent. So if I'm uncle, I don't know what that makes my mum. Uh, like, I don't know, grand, grand uncle? Like, <laughs> yeah, not sure. So you know, there's there's that kind of stuff, and um, they've they've been really good, of course. Uh, and um, yeah, so yeah, it's all been it's all been good and all been really positive. Oh, that's really great. That's what you want to hear. I would yeah. be really interested to speak to a a straight man to to hear what his family's reactions were to him donating, um, yeah, yeah. and see what that context would look like. Um, cause I think it's interesting, the extra layer of this has something to do with it for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I know one straight male friend who has donated to a lesbian couple and he's like married with kids. Um, but his like, wife, his wife is like, you know, super political and like super left and she's been, you know, all right on about it. Yeah, so she's a badass, and she's yeah, she gets it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, it does happen, but you know, I, I they are unicorns, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the world needs more unicorns. Is there any, I guess, any aspect that I've not thought of? Something that's been sort of present along this journey for you that it has stood out as a bit of a highlight, or sort of, I guess, um, in lasting impression that maybe you weren't expecting. Uh. Yeah, like, it's definitely a lot different. You know, you get told it's going to be different to what you think it is, and that's very true. Uh, I think I viewed sperm as cinnamon or something. Like, you know, do you need some cinnamon? I've got heaps of cinnamon. Like, um, but then, you know, then you see this little person, and it's like, oh, she looks like me, right? Uh, which is a very, it's like a very... Um, real feeling it's very very real uh and of course all of this was in the context of um you know the uh the the marriage survey and safe schools and stuff uh and that definitely um you know like just to be honest uh i think marriage is stupid um uh but, you know, like the, the debates were like you actually had politicians and people who were influenced with politicians talking or inferring openly like these kids would be better taken off the parents. Right. So it's so it's not like a completely remote possibility. Like it has happened in, in living memory. And, you know, so that's what I think about it. We're, we're not we don't feel like well, I don't feel like we're on a positive trajectory. So, uh that's definitely been in the background quite a lot. Yeah. So the political con like culture and context of what we're looking at at the moment. Yeah. And so, you know, just, just the possibility that things might actually be terrible <laughs> for this poor little person, you know, like they might, um, 
They might be at a school or they might face something negative. Uh, so yeah, so there's that. So there's a lot of that. And what else? Uh, oh, you asked earlier about, um, you know, what should other, like other people are thinking about donating and, uh, yeah, just do it. <laughs> like, like what else are you going to do with your life? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, oh, you know, maybe you'll donate now and maybe you'll have kids later and it'll be complicated. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, things are complicated and interesting. Yeah. yeah. Things are complicated and interesting. What are you going to do? Imagine, because there's always the opposite. You could do nothing and be boring. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I'd say, like, obviously it can be a nightmare. Um, like, I've definitely heard of really bad scenarios where things have not worked out. You know, it's been really bitter. Um, but... Uh, just don't be one of those people. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Just look at those people and go, not for me. Um, and like I said, um, it's obviously good if there's simpatico between you and, and, uh, and the parents. Yeah. makes a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, and the other, you know, the other scenario we've seen is, um, uh, you might say, yeah, I'm just going to be the donor and I'll always be known as the donor, but the kids have their own ideas. Uh, and so we know some kids who just like couldn't care less, uh, and other kids become obsessed with this idea of, um, you know, I might have like, or, you know, this, this donor might actually be, um, a parent who could come in and rescue me. Like they'd be the parent who, you know, buys me the, the PlayStation and the, you know, the good shoes and whatever they want. And, and understands how mean and annoying my parents are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know. Um, just being prepared to, to see that whatever agreement is, it's probably going to be on a spectrum. Like, and you've got to maybe be prepared that it'll be less than what you're anticipating um, or, or more. So my, my scenario is, um, you know, I see, I visit like once a month uh, or, you know, every three weeks or something, uh, just social. Uh, but that, that might change, you know, they might get busy or, um, or, you know, like they might get overloaded and want me to come and visit more. I would be the, like the worst babysitter. I don't know anything about children. Uh, You're like, here, kids, here's some blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's right. Like, uh, have you seen Netflix? <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we have talked about when she's uh, older, um, then, you know, maybe I could play more of a babysitter role, but I would have zero capacity. <laughs> to be a good, to be an asset right now, you know. I think I'm, I'm good for short visits, I'm good for short entertainment, but uh, I, I couldn't change a nappy. Oh, I reckon you'd be surprised at what you can do. I reckon if there's like 15-year-olds who are babysitting that you got, you could, you could do this. We They could skill you up. <laughs> uh, quite quite possibly, quite possibly. But I like, I mean, I had a little sister, but I don't ever remember her being a baby. She was quite close to my age. Um, and we'd never had kids or anything uh, growing up. Um, so yeah, they're like, like foreign children. objects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're just, they are, they're just totally foreign to me. <laughs> and breakable as well. Yeah. Yeah. So when, um, uh, when I first, when I first met her, um, like just after she was born, I was so frightened. <laughs> I, ins I was so like, I insisted that I had to be sitting down to hold her. Cause you know, then she's only got like two centimeters to fall in case I faint or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You must be safe. Yeah. Yeah, but I shat myself. Like I was so frightened because <laughs> they're so they're so tiny. They're so tiny. Little, just little yeah. blobs, and you just have to keep them safe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and the mum said that as well. Like, um, uh, the birth mother, she was similar. Like, didn't grow up around children or anything like that. And, um, you know, she she said to me one day, she's like. If she gets sunburnt, that is my fault. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I take her out and she gets sunburnt, there's nobody else to blame. <laughs> yeah. like, she's just like, it's, it's all next level. It's so next level. And it's yeah. like, yeah, the, it just, the responsibility, the, yeah. the, uh, the capacity for feeling guilty, it all just skyrockets. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one of the good things, I guess, about being queer is you just have this extended childhood. Like, you know, where it's, um, 
you know, it's like, it might be like double income, no kids. Uh, you know, you're going out and like quite often, like our lives are very social. Uh, it's all about like intentional relationships and stuff. Uh, so I, I think a lot of us get, get the this luxury of deferring all of that responsibility for quite a long time. Absolutely. It's a very different world. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. You know, just, just do it. That's what I'd say. Just do it. Just do it. I love yeah. it. I think um, I think that's a great note to end on. Just do it. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time to chat. It's been really beautiful. I've no, had a really nice time getting to hear your your story and what it's been like for you and some of your revelations and um, have a couple of laughs. It's really nice. No problem. Well, good luck on your end. Thank you. There you go, folks. That was Lee and his amazing story. It was amazing. I um, it's yeah, it's really interesting because I actually um, I haven't seen Lee for a long time, but we actually knew each other. Our paths had sort of crossed quite a few times, sort of ten years ago. So it was really beautiful to hear that story and um, just how happy um, the family are as well, who are also people that we really love and um yeah it's really incredible yeah it's really special so thank you for that lee and i also want to give a shout out to emma pollock who did our episode music while well, our podcast music and cecilia cabalquinto who did our podcast art next time we'll join you we'll be telling you about how our eight week scan goes hopefully really it feels well like a big one does it it does it it's does really cute i'm really like just i need I, don't, I think probably every milestone will just be like i just want to get this one done and get the okay so I'm really excited to be able to report back after the eight-week scan. Yeah, I think it'll be really good. And I want to touch on next time as well what it's been like for us to navigate announcing our pregnancy and having a podcast because it's not a typical... <laughs> it's been a little bit complex. It's a little. <laughs> so, yeah, I want to talk about that a bit. So I'm looking forward to sharing that and um, yeah, and all that comes along with that. So please join us in two weeks to laugh, cry, and sigh as we make our very own credit card family. Bye. Bye.